Amen. Yeah, why don't you have your seats? I guess I don't have to introduce myself as Mike kind of brought me up the stage this morning, surprise. Um, and I'm just, it's, I'm just looking forward to just being together and just sharing the Word of God with you all. Um, I know that you've been going through a series in the Philippians, and so we're going to come to that in a minute, and we're going to read from the Scriptures. And I think some Bibles at some point will also make their ways to you. It's important that we read our Bibles, that we open the Word of God, that we spend some time in it. And um, before we get to the Word, I just want to share a little story with you. Um, just a small story about my family and I, um, so that you get to know a bit more about me. So uh, we, we like card games. And when I mean card games, I don't mean poker or blackjack. I mean, you know, uh, good old family-friendly card games. Um, if you're a parent, an auntie, a grandparent, a carer, do you know the game called Uno? Yeah? Can we see a show of hands? Show of hands. Yeah. If you don't know Uno, get on it. Fine. Speak to somebody. Say, what is Uno? I left mine at home. Uno is this amazing game that can make or break families. No, I'm kidding. Um, Uno is this game that I've been playing uh, with my friends at university, um, my wife, my families, my in-laws, my children. It's been, it's been part of my life, seriously. It's just like, I should have like, one with me all the time. And I'm not even lying to you, at university we played this game, Uno, and it tore our house apart as we were to bin it. It got really competitive. We were adding all these extra rules. You know, if, if you lose, you, you, you do this. And we were just adding all these rules. We had a chart, a competition chart on the wall. Um, it got too much. And some people couldn't handle the pressure, and so we had to give up. Um, Uno is a great game. But if you're anything like me or my family, there's one rule that we play with Uno. It's the plus two or the plus four rules, and you add it on to any pluses. There we go, yes, you know what I'm talking about. Plus two, you add it on, you add a plus four, and you add a plus two, and your eight-year-old, at the end of the day, has to pick up 10 cards, and she's broken-hearted, and she's in tears, and you're like, ha, 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 in your heart. And you're like, no, okay. Um, but you know that rule, don't you? You all know it. If you've played Uno, you know that rule. But guess what? It's not actually a rule. The game makers of Uno have gone on Twitter and said, that rule doesn't exist. It shouldn't be in the game. Heartbreak. When I saw it, I was like, no way. No way. And they were like, yes way. <laughs> that rule doesn't exist. You cannot add a plus two on a plus four. You cannot keep the special card at the end of the game. You have to play it during the round, so you cannot hold like plus four and just smack a plus eight and just wipe out. You can't do that. It's, it's, it's horrible, but that, these are the rules. And we've been playing Uno, and we've made up these rules, and we've worked out the best way for our families, and we think that's the best way to play Uno, but it's, it's really not. Um, so says the rule makers. Um, and I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to come back to Uno a little bit at some point in the, in, in the sermon, and hopefully you'll understand why. But Uno is a great game. Get it if you haven't got it. There's many copies and different versions of it. Um, this morning you are in the book of Philippians, I believe, and you are on chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to open up Philippians 2. It should be on the screen, it's perfect. And we're going to go from 12 to 30. And so let me start reading. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, 
but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in the warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for the best interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will, will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourself could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was a bit of a mouthful, so 30, uh, 15, 16 verses, this is a lot. But this morning, we are going to hang out and spend time right at the beginning uh, in verses 12 and 13. Because even though they're small, Paul says a lot in those simple two verses. And so we're just going to spend some time in it. And this morning, I've got two points. I was going to say simple points, but I'm going, to, I'm going to say two points, and hopefully, if they're not simple, tell me afterwards, but my hope is they're simple points, and the points are this. Point one is, we must, we must work out what God has worked in, and the second point is this, is the working in is not by our working out. So point one, we must work out what God has worked in, and point two, the working in is not by our working out. So what does it mean when I say, uh, work out what God has worked in? You see, when I look at verse 12, that's pretty much what I understand by it. I read Paul's uh, writing to the Philippians, and when I read uh, verse 12, this idea of salvation, uh, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, that's what I understand by it. I understand that Paul is saying, you need to work out what the Lord has worked in you. But what does that actually mean, Paul? What does that actually mean? to work out our fear, uh, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we're just going to unpack that a little bit. We're just going to unpack what that means, and then just going to put it back together, and hopefully we'll have a better understanding of what Paul is trying to say. Because I highly doubt that what Paul is saying here, in verse 12 and verse 13, I highly doubt that Paul is suggesting to us this morning 
that we live in a state of continuous anxiety. We live in a state of continuous frustration and worry and fear and stress about our faith. I doubt that Paul is saying, when you work out your, your, your salvation in fear, that you, you, you need to be fearful of what could potentially happen to you. I doubt that Paul is saying to us, stay on the edge. Be fairful of what could happen. See that, that, that that's like you're always on the precipice. What if, if I don't do this? What if, if I, if I don't go to church? What could happen? What could not happen? I doubt that Paul is saying to us this morning that we need to live in a place of continuous fear and trembling and worry. Because that would seriously oppose any and actually all of Paul's messages when it comes to the Bible about the peace of mind that we find in Christ, about the courage that we can find in Christ, about confidence that we find in Christ, about faith that we find in Christ, who is the author of our faith. So what is Paul actually saying to us if he's not saying that we need to be living in a state of continuous worry? What is he saying to us? I believe that Paul is saying to us this idea of working out your faith really simply means this, that in your life, you need to work out what God has put in you to resemble Jesus Christ more and every day. The working out it simply means that when you leave this place, your life, however you live it, needs to resemble Christ's likeness more and more every day. It doesn't mean that you need to work out how to obtain salvation, but no, that your life needs to resemble Jesus more and more every day. You see, that the working out, if you will, physically is expressing, you, the working out is expressing what God has put inside of you. The working out has to be, if you physically expressing or outwardly or externally or however you want to phrase it, is working out this internal transformation that happens when we accept Jesus Christ, this internal transformation that happens when the Holy Spirit works in us and that transformation lives out in a physical expression when we leave this place. That's what Paul is trying to tell us, that when you work out your salvation, it's that your life needs to resemble Christ's likeness because you work it out, you, you see what having faith means your character changes and you resemble Christ's likeness more and more every day. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He says, work out your salvation. He says, actually, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what, Paul, what are you talking about? What does, what does that mean? And, and when you add the word fear and when you add the word God together, people freak out. People cannot put fear and God together because all they start to see is this ogre, they visualize God as this bully, as this mean person who, who wants to, uh, always ready to strike us or beat us down. And again, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying you must work out or live your life, live your faith because you're afraid of God. No, he says that you need to live your life and live your faith because you love God. A little bit of research, that word fear in, in, in the Greek is actually a high reverence. When we talk about fear, is to have a high reverence, a, a high regard, is to, to, to really have a high esteem of somebody, of God in the situation, to really look up to him and, 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 and look at him and, and be in awe of the Lord. Paul isn't talking to us about having fear of God and being scared of God, but having a high regard of God. I've got two kids, two girls, 
Um, and and I, spend, I try to spend as much time as I can with them. And we play in the garden and the house, and we wreck the house. And then it's a good time, and I said, right, you clean the house now. Um, no. uh, but we play together, and we hang out together. And sometimes in our playing and hanging out together, they challenge me to things. They challenge me to situations and games. And they say, Daddy, you can't do this because you're old. And I go, you watch this, child. Um, and so one of the situations, it was a handstand. Handstand, for you can't do a handstand, you're too old, like your joints are creaking and I'm like, I know child, just wait, let me get my omega-3 oils and let me just, you know. Um, and, and so they said to me, you can't do a handstand. So I said, right, let's go in the garden right now. And so what I do is we go in the garden together, I mess around and I go, oh, it's so difficult, I can't really do a handstand, how do you do it again? Bear in mind, they can't do it. They, they, I can't, they think I can't, but they can't do it. So I go, oh, how do you do it? Oh, daddy, just kick your legs in the air. And I'm like, oh, it's so difficult. I'm so old, I can't do it. And then I switch gear. I switch it on them. And I go, you watch this. And boom, I go two hands on the floor, kick feet in the air, and I start to hand walk. And they go, what? Like the jaws just drop. And like, daddy. I'm like, that's right, daddy can do it. I, I'm not so old. My joints do hurt afterwards, but I, I don't tell him that. Um, but I do handstand and they are amazed. Their jaws just drop and they're like, what, that's daddy. I'm like, that's right, that's it daddy, that's right, that's me. Um, I can do that, you know. <laughs> I need the hot water bottle next though, but I, I can do it. Um, and and they, their mouth just drop. But what happens in this moment is they look at me and they go, Oh my goodness, my dad is so awesome. He's not old, he can do a handstand. I am so amazed that he can do it. I... Wow, daddy, how, what? And, and so them, there's a sense of awe. It's a moment of, of reverence, if you will. It's not saying, oh, that is, but it's, they are taken aback by what they've seen and they're like, I cannot believe it. I am amazed at this silly thing, this, this handstand, and they are completely taken aback by it. And they are like, wow, that's my dad. And it, it doesn't stop there. They go, dad, teach me. Teach me how you did this. I see you doing it. I want to know. Hold my legs. What do I do? Can you hold my feet so we can walk together? Teach me your ways. I've seen you do something completely amazing. You blew my mind. I didn't know you could do it, but you did it. Teach me your way so I can be just like you. That sounds a little bit familiar as to what happened in this story here. What happens is, it's the same application as what Paul is saying, that when we work out our faith, it's not because we're faithful of God, but we are in complete awe of God. We are in complete taken aback by his goodness and his kindness and his generosity. And when we look at Jesus and the empty cross, we go, wow. That you would come and you would bear your life on the cross for me, a sinner. I didn't deserve it, but you came and you gave me this free gift of salvation that I could only receive it. Wow. And because of your love, Jesus, because of your forgiveness, Jesus, I, the only thing I can do is I have to live my life and my life has to resemble yours more and more every day, Jesus. I have to work out my, my salvation, what you've given me, the free grace, so that I look more and more like you. That my, my friends see you in me, not me. Just your whole life, Jesus. Wow. 
and we look at Jesus, we are taken aback, we, we fall in love, and we go, wow, I need to change my life. My life changes and looks more like Christ. And, and we go, oh my goodness, Jesus is so good. He saved me when I didn't deserve it. He gave his life. I need, to, I need to live it out. I need to be more like Jesus. And you go, wow. And that circle just repeats. And we are taken aback by Christ. We are in awe of Jesus. We're not afraid. We're not shaking in our boots. But we are completely taken aback by the goodness of the Lord. And that's what I think Paul is trying to say to us. That when you, this idea of uh, fear and trembling is no is to, to work out your salvation because of the love of God. Because you are so in love with the Lord. And that you can't help but shake it, um, share the goodness of the Lord in your life to all your friends and all your families and your communities. And this leads to my, my second point. And the second point is, is, again, quite simple, I think. And the second point is called, the working in of God is not by our working out. Paul, in verse 13, he talks about, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Straight from the bat, Paul tells us, you, my friends, my Philippians, have nothing to add to the equation. There is nothing that you and I can do extra or at all to deserve the free gift of grace that comes from the Lord. There's nothing. Paul is saying there's nothing you can do to it. And so let me go back to the beginning of the game. In Uno, we added all these extra rules to try to make the game more fun. We add all these extra things in our lives because we think if I add X or Y and Z, it's going to make it better. That somehow if I add these extra rules, if I do these extra things, something will work out in my favor. It will look better for me. And actually in our own faith, we do that. As Christians, we say, if I go to church more often, God will surely bless me more. If I receive communion more often, oh, the Lord will surely love me more. If I pray harder, God will bless me more. I need to do X, Y, and Z. I need to, I need to be better. I need to do this. I need to do that. Because, and if I do this, God will surely reward me. As if I were doing as anything to the free gift of grace, of salvation that comes from Christ. As if me even thinking that if I come to church, God will somehow love me more. What foolishness is that? By the simple fact that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever will believe in him shall gain eternal life and not perish. He didn't say, because Nick, you love me. No, he says, because he loved the world first. Before God, before we loved him, he loved us first. And Paul tells us it's God who works in you and in me. I've got nothing to do but to just stand here in this place and just pour out my hands and receive the free gift of grace that comes from God in the person of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do, church, but just pour out your hands and just receive it. When you come to this table, there's nothing you can do but receive. There's nothing you can physically add to this table that the Lord will say, ah, yes, my son, you, you, I, I value more because you give more time. There's nothing. Paul wants us to know that this transformation that happens in our lives is because of the God who initiates it first. It's nothing to do with me, nothing to do with us. It is God who works in us 
Paul is telling us that our salvation is not dependent on works that we do, but that our salvation has been freely given to each and every single one of us as a gift from God, only attainable through faith in Jesus Christ. It is God who works it in us, and that salvation is not earned, rather salvation is freely given, and it can only be freely received. We don't earn salvation, we can only just receive it freely. And it is through that receiving of God's free gift, through faith in Christ, that we can start to work out our faith. It's through that free gift that we can start to work out our faith. This means that God doesn't force change us, he doesn't force our actions or our behaviors to, to change, but instead by the inhabiting of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we give our life to Jesus, our desires and our motives, they slowly change to resemble his. And like I said before, when we look upon Jesus with reverence and awe and wanting to be more Christ-like, naturally we will change and our faith will get worked out and we will resemble Christ-likeness more and more. And as we yield to him, as we, as we, we, we bow down to him, he will shape our hearts and our minds and our desires, our purposes, that we all align with his will and his divine purpose for our lives. Our desires, as Paul talks about in that same verse, verse 13, fulfilling his good purposes, all our desires, all our needs, all our wants, they will increasingly become harmonious with his will for us. They will slowly bring about and come closer and closer together. We will resemble more and more of Christ in all that we do. When we embrace this free gift of salvation, it initiates a transformation within us. A transformation where the Holy Spirit actively works to change us more and more to resemble Jesus in all that we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your word to us. Thank you that you are always present and you long to meet with us, but not leave us as we are. Lord, thank you that you would send your son Jesus to die on that cross for us. But he did not just die, he rose again three days later, defeating all the powers of hell and principalities, Lord. And we are ever so grateful. And this morning as we come to your table, uh, would you meet with us in the bread and the wine? Would you allow us to receive you, Lord, and just pour out our hands to receive this free gift. This table where we don't need to bring anything to it, but just stand there and receive you, Jesus. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.